Welcome back to Up The Villa podcast. Delighted to say that we've got Statman Dave on, football statistician, legend, <laughs> loves his tactics. So welcome to the show, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, you know, Villa are all my favourite teams in the Premier League this season and last season with Emery. I think they're a team that I watch week in, week out. I think it's them, it's Spurs, if you're kind of ignoring the big boys that they just play such a, an interesting style of football, similar to Brighton. So, no, delighted to be here. You know, up the Villa. Villa are a, a team that I've always respected in uh, in English football. So, no, great to be here. Love it. So, we'll kick it off then. So, how impressed have you been with, with Aston Villa this season? From last season when Emery joined, we, you know, were scrambling around the relegation zone, took us to European football in seventh. But to kick on the way we have, you know, from looking at, from afar, have you seen Villa? No, I think I think they've 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 improved even more than they did last season. I think that's testament to to Emery. I think obviously with Villa, we're going from Gerrard to Emery. It's almost the polar opposite in terms of coaches and, and preparation and the, the finer details. I was speaking to Stephen Warnocker about a month ago, and he was talking about Villa because he went to the the training in the summer, and he was saying how Emery was changing things about every single different player. For example, John McGinn, someone that we think is so complete as a footballer, who's changing how he was receiving, how he was using his bum and then turning out of situations. And all those small little details that Emery's worked on in the summer, we're starting to see the fruition of that in the Villa performances. So from the outside looking in, you know, defensively outstanding, transitionally outstanding, and then going forward loads of different ways to break teams down but also depth on the bench. And I think that's something that you've got to give Monchi a lot of credit for, uh, you know, in terms of creating this Villa squad right now. You can already see his sort of fingerprints on that team. Yeah. And what, what do you think makes Emery stand out as a manager then? You know, we've had so many different things. I mean, when he came last season, he, he improved the players. This season, he's improved them even more. But I think one thing that I, I, I think of in the summer was when Telemann signed and Telemann's just looked like he couldn't cope with how we were playing and mm. Emery was just really focusing on Telemans and this is a guy that's literally won the FA Cup, played in the Champions League, played in the Premier League, but he still had to adapt to the Emery way. So what are the characteristics of Emery that, that you really like? Well, I just think from, from the stuff that I like, what I think is really unique is, is Villa's block. Their mid-block is so interesting in a sense of it's, it's high but it's no pressure on the ball in in some ways, which is really strange. And the Brighton 6-1 was a great example of that, where they almost camped, you know, you pressed high on the defensive midfielder in a diamond into that mid-block. You, you basically camped and you, you had all the options covered. You then would put pressure on the ball and you'd force passes either behind your defence or you'd intercept it and then transition quickly. And I think that as a strategy, you know, we've seen Jurgen Klopp's football, we've seen Manchester City as well. Their pressing's fantastic. But having that mid-block that was so compact, so disciplined, but also playing a high line, I think is testament to the work that Emery puts in, but also the players and their grasping of of, of that system, you know, the big start that goes round is Aston Villa have caught more teams offside than any other team in European football at the moment, which is outstanding. And that's where it's weird because I would always expect my players, if I was a coach, to go and press the football if we're playing a high line. And in a sense, Emery's side is set, you know, he's kind of sat off a little bit and, and blocking it out. And I think you also look at those those players. I mentioned John McGinn before. Yuri Tielemans was an absolute steal. In a sense, you think about the teams that in his career he's been linked to, Manchester United, Juventus, City, Arsenal, and he and he plays for Villa. 
And I think that, again, you look at the recruitment, Diego Carlos is another one that has been linked with a whole host of top, top clubs, Pau Torres. But they have to buy into something. And that's what Emery delivers on the training pitch and in the analysis room. It's buying into that. It's improving yourself, you know, a percent a day that's ultimately going to exponentially increase. And I think someone like Yuri Tielemans, who wasn't favoured at the start, but now looks like, you know, a really good player, was obviously involved in the uh, Arsenal result and the, the Manchester City result. They were absolutely outstanding as a kind of number 10 or, or, or a player that was playing just off the centre forward. And I think the use of the squad's been fantastic. Loads of different ways to set up. You know, you talk about Ezri Konsa being a player that could play right back or centre half. Then you've got Matty Cash that can facilitate a very different role at fullback mm-hmm. or over on the right wing. And I just think it's that buy-in that's, that's so, so good that Emery's kind of brought to Villa Park. It's it's kind of his tactically, this is his team. Arsenal were never Emery's team. I've watched a lot of the, the severe teams, you know, they really enjoyed watching those severe teams. You know, many strikers that would blow up, many midfielders that would look really good. But Arsenal never looked like that, whereas this is an Emery team. Yeah, and I, I think what I really like about him as well is that his tactics do differ depending on opposition. You know, you, you highlighted Telemans for the Man City game. You know, I think that was possibly the best I've ever seen Villa play in my life. You know, because of mm. the, the nature of who it was, who we played against. We dominated the game. And then a couple of days later, we play in Arsenal. And it's a completely different performance. We are defending more, more resolute. And I think that just shows that the Emery comparison of like different ways about going against and playing against different teams. So, you know, how far do you think Aston Villa can go under Emery? You know, this season we are currently fourth. Uh, we're still in the Europa Conference League, still in the FA Cup. But what do you think the ceiling is with, em- with Emery at Aston Villa? You know, I still believe that this is just like the start of it. You know, we've, we've go- well, I'll ask you about our recruitment in a minute, mm. you know, with Monchi and we look like we're going down a different route with some younger players. But, you know, what what's the ceiling, do you think? Well, I think the really interesting thing for Villa right now is they're at the perfect time to do this, if that makes sense. Like there is a change of guard. You know, Manchester United have been woeful for seasons now. But you look at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp leaving at the end of the season, who comes in, you know, maybe Xabi Alonso comes in and they improve and they still are the the second best team in the league. But that's a question mark. You look at Arsenal right now as well. They're still trying to find their best attacking structure this season. You look at Spurs, um, you know, with Postacoglu and they're building for something. So Villa are in that group. They're in that group. I think I'd probably put them ahead of Brighton at the moment. Obviously, Brighton's recruitment is outstanding. The football's outstanding. But Villa are better at winning games, if that makes sense. You know, that tactical change you mentioned before with against Man City, Tielemans kind of dropping off the line, making the kind of in the attacking midfield position, Leon Bailey sitting high and wide, pinning the back four. Like that type of small change is so important, but won you the game. And that's what I think Emery's got that ability to beat these sides. And I think if you give him the tools, you know, he can beat a a Tottenham, he could beat an Arsenal on his day, he could beat a Manchester City, he could beat a Manchester United. And I think that's that's where Villa are. Villa are in the equation. And yes, you know, you look at your spend over the last few years, It's you've spent quite a lot of money, but you have to spend it on the right players. You know, you're not buying a Jadon Sancho, you're not buying an Anthony, you're not buying a Mason Mount for, you know, far too much money, but you're signing the right player at the right time. And that only, for me, means one thing in the, in the current game. It means improvement year on year. And with a coach like Emery, if you can keep him at Villa, which I think it's, 
you know, financially, it's the best place for him. He's never going to get the, you know, the control or the influence or the money that he's got with Villa with anyone else because of the power of the Premier League. And that's kind of exciting. You know, I've always wanted Emery to have a club like that. PSG wasn't that club. Arsenal wasn't that club. Mm -hmm. It needed to be the right club, but it feels like he is right now in the right place, which means Champions League is, is an achievable target within the next sort of three or four years. And not even just qualifying through the league, but also the Europa League. You know, that's mm -hmm. a way that Emery's done it time and time again. And it's, you know, no dissert. You win the Europa League, you're in the Champions League. And that's how I see Villa getting in there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's doing a lot of fantastic job. And like you say about the, the control thing, you know, a couple of months ago, we sort of invested into Unai Emery's family football team, Raul Union, in, in, in sort of like the second or third division of La Liga. And for me, that felt like we've just gave him a, like a lifetime contract. We've invested in, you know, that club. So, you know, it does feel like it's home for him. And, and I think he's got everything in place, like bringing Monchi, Vidagane. It, it feels like he's just got everything he needs, like you say, to go out and, and, and do the job. So we're going to touch on now the current Villa system then. So, you know, if I just briefly show how we've been playing. So you've got left back goes forward. You've got the defenders and the right back that tucks in. You've got Kamara screening, double pivot of Kamara and Douglas Louise. And then you've got that sort of box midfield making it up through there as well. Um, so how how do you, what do you think the strengths are with, with this current Villa system? I think number one, I think you, you, you as I mentioned, you defend very, very well. You're very compact, very organised off the ball. That kind of 4-4-2 shape is it's elite. You know, it's the best shape for me off the ball. Why the best teams use it. City are a prime example. It's so compact. You've got good coverage centrally out wide. There's no real weaknesses to it. I think Villa press really well high with Douglas Louise. The way that he jumps, squeezes high, you can do it. But then you drop to the back and you think that you know, what, Villa dropped back to almost a, a back six at times with great sort of, you know, coverage out wide, which is where a lot of teams try and overload you. But I think on the ball, Aston Villa are probably the most underrated team playing out from the back in the Premier League. I think people don't respect them. I think Brighton, is it's easy to say Brighton are great out the back. They are. It's, it's obvious Brighton are really good out the back. But the similar kind of four triple two structure that Brighton play, Villa adopt it in slightly different ways. And we mentioned before, de de dependent on personnel, you know, it could be the right midfielder moving inside if McGinn's playing out there. Uh, you know, it could be the the attacking midfielders mentioned before, like Yuri Tielemans dropping off, but it creates that box shape. And what I like the most about it is not only can Villa play through, you know, with the narrowness of the two defensive midfielders and the width for the two attacking midfielders, you know, there's natural overloads there. But Villa are really happy to pop it in the channel or pop it up and win the second ball. And the structure is set in such a way where they can do that. It's almost German. It's almost like a, um, you know, let's say like a, a Julian Nagelsmann uh, Leipzig or a Marco Rose Leipzig, where it's like a four triple two, but they play you play on the counter press. And that is super important that you've got so many different tools to play out from a back. You've got a good, good ball playing goalkeeper. You've got two centre-hours, very comfortable. The rest of the defence is, is, is decent on the ball. And I think from, for me, that that's a very, very modern side. Um, and you can change that. And I think that's the beauty of it. In the final third, dependent on personnel, your shape completely changes, which gives you that idea that there is more to come. There could be different aspects tactically of how Villa set up but overall it's just it, it's so complete and when you look at stats like you know Villa have taken the second most shots in the Premier League inside the box um, 
you start to think like there's a method of chance creation. There's a way of playing through pressure. There's a way of overloading. And then, you, you know, you think about the the midfield you've got of, of two very good ball players. I can't believe you, you've, you've got someone like Kamara, like an outstanding player, but a player that isn't flash, isn't fancy. What he'll do is just retain possession all day. And that is that there's a hole in a number of squads that need that. And you've signed him on a free transfer. So, yeah. which again enables you to do what you want in midfield because you've got a player that can win the ball back and can retain possession, which allows Louise to play high. And it's there's there's so many positives. I think that's the big thing with it, and and not many teams have started to work out how to beat you yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that midfield sort of if you're going with Kamara free, Louise was about eighteen million, McGinn two point five, Tielemans free. You know, that's not an expensive midfield, but it's actually, you know, I mean, I think Louise and Kamara are probably worth about nearly 100 million each. Like, if we were to sell them, that they're, they're, they're not far off Caicedo and them type of, like, fees as well. So, um, yeah, you bang on, to be fair. And I think for me, when I'm watching Villa and, you know, I'm watching us away from home, and I see the the sort of like the flow of where we were last season when we were like defending with sort of like uh, sort of wide midfielders acting as like fullbacks and then the four defenders sort of being across the 18-yard box. You know, it was more counter-attacking last season and this season it's more control possession. Like I went to Goodison and like we were literally like the home team dominating the ball, controlling it. Um, you know, and I think that jump from playing sort of defensive counter-attack to controlling games is is massive in the space of, you know, a, a season really. So, you know, I, I'm looking at the Villa team now and I'm thinking, you know, how is it going to evolve next season? And I keep, in my head, coming across one point is that, you know, if you look at our system now when we've got the left-back that goes forward... Do you feel like potentially someone like Pau Torres could move into that midfield area and then that would allow a midfielder to play further forward so we've got more attackers across that front line? Because that's how I potentially see us developing a little bit. Do you think that's something that we could do? I'd say yes if it wasn't Emery. Because I think Emery is big on those fullbacks, either being overlappers or being sort of ball players, third centre-backs in possession. And I think that's always been the case. That's Emery at Sevilla. That's Emery um, at Villarreal. And again, they're, they're the two teams I look at with Aston Villa. I, I ignore Arsenal and I ignore uh, PSG. You know, PSG was a whole host of different systems. Arsenal finished off playing kind of a 3-4-1-2, which could be a way, but I think we've already seen that with Villa. I think, I think Emery sticks to those types of players in those roles. What I think could be interesting is maybe... If, for example, you signed a more attack-minded left winger, so let's say you've, you've got a you know right-footed left attacker similar to you've got Bailey and Diaby on the right-hand side, you know, uh, unnatural foot coming coming inside to kind of give Villa a little bit more of a dynamic out there. That could be a place to improve the squad. I think mm-hmm. the other sides of it are interesting because I think there's there's good players in a lot of those roles. You know, you could do with a proper backup number nine. Let's say. You've got a Newcastle where you've got Isaac and Wilson would be great, but Duran's been decent when he's come off the bench and Villa have, you've, you've looked good with, with those two forwards in there. So I don't think there's much uh, evolution. I think if I were to to look at it, it would potentially be that right, you know, the left attacker, left winger that I spoke mm-hmm. about, or alternatively bringing in another flying left back. You know, Luca Dean ain't getting any younger. 
that could be another position that you recruit for where you get someone that's a really orthodox uh, creator from deep, you know, deep crosses, or you get one that's going to hit the byline. That could potentially be a place where where you strengthen that, you know, that you could potentially play two right backs on, on the right with cash and let's say cons are on the left-hand side. You could play, let's say, Luca Dean and someone else just as a, as a counter to maybe the big teams. But that that's kind of it. I really don't, I think Villa are a really complete side and, you know, you think about Jacob Ramsey, who's not played that much this season, big fan of him. Um, watched quite a lot of Villa's youth team two seasons ago or something, where you had Aaron Ramsey as well, who's obviously been sold mm-hmm. to Burnley. He's someone that you could bring back after, you know, he's had a bit of game time at Burnley or they spend a season in the championship, let's say. He gets that time to play and then comes back. Villa Academy looks really good at the moment. Cameron Archer's another one that could be brought back later on. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't... I just don't see that there needs to be a massive change of what Villa are doing, but maybe just getting better at what they already have. You know, mm-hmm. Matty Cash is a great player, but an upgrade on Matty Cash. They're mm-hmm. the types of, of signings I see Villa to evolve them, but sticking, kind of sticking to the fundamentals because at the moment it's working so well. I don't think you massively need to go out there and change. Yeah, interesting stuff. But one thing that I think we do kind of struggle with, so I'd lo- love to get your thoughts on this, is low block. You know, beating the low block. We seem to be, we're okay. You know, we're having a bit of a blip. Well, a blip. I mean, a blip of sort of like drawing against Sheffield United, losing to United, beating Burnley and drawing to Everton. Those are like our last Premier League results. But we are finding it a bit difficult at times to break that low block. Is there is there anything you think we could possibly do better to, to negate that? It's a really, it's a good, great question. I think that there's different solutions to those games. I think Manchester United were just looking for the ball over the top to Rashford over and over again, and eventually it came off a few times. It's, it's difficult to play against the forward like Marcus Rashford because of his pace and how quick he is, similar with Alejandro Ganacho. Um, for the Sheffield United game, potentially looking at Yuri Tielemans playing deep. I do love Kamara. Kamara is one of my favourite Premier League players. But when you're trying to beat that deep block, do you want someone that's a little bit more of a playmaker in that position that will play a little bit more forward? Uh, we, we saw Tielemans in his sort of last six months at, Ville, uh, at Leicester City, sorry, playing that kind of controlling midfield role. Maybe that's something that, that Villa could do. As you mentioned before, getting another midfielder higher, Tielemans a bit deeper so he can kind of distribute. Louise can still play box to box, but then maybe getting another attacker in the offensive line, you know, maybe looking at playing two forwards in those games, you know, Duran and Watkins, let's say, and, and kind of going a little bit more traditional for uh, four triple two than kind of the four, two, three, one shape that we have when a midfielder comes in uh, or a Diaby comes into that second striker position. So I think that's definitely something, getting a midfielder in there to be a little bit more penetrative. I think having players that are, that are really good 1v1, maybe on the left-hand side, I think Cash is good 1v1 on, and really good off the ball, um, making the runs in behind on the right. The left-hand side is the area that I'd say could do with some improvement. You know, have you got a a 1v1 dribbler out there? Have you got um, someone that can provide a bit of a threat from pace from deep, in a sense? You know, beating a low block is all about moving the ball, moving that block around, then creating those opportunities. You know, I favour cutbacks. I favour pulling the defence back and then dropping the ball back, you know, utilising underlaps, overlaps you know, creating those superiorities where you've pulled the opposition one flank, you then switch through midfield, you know, with a Yuri Tielemans that's got that range of passing, hitting it on the other side. I think that would be the side that I'd probably look with with Villa to, to improve. Or, you know, someone like an Emi Bondia coming back, 
He's a great yeah. sort of tight space footballer. Got a goal. Got an got an assist in him. You know, someone to come back in there to improve that facility or the last option. You know, you've you've tried to play through. You've tried to play around. You've tried to uh, you know play combination through. It's getting a target man. You know, getting a bigger striker that you can go direct to, you can cross from deep to, you can load the penalty area for lot for, for for knockdowns, you know, six foot five centre forward. It's old school, but it works. And that's something that Villa could look to bring in, you know, a player that might be happy at sitting on the bench for a bit, but then can come on in those games or even start those games where Villa needs to break down that deep block. It's it it's unfashionable, but it works. And that, that's something that I feel will come more into Premier League football as as these big strikers come, you know, like a Haaland or a Hoyland, uh, mm-hmm. fast, quick, strong um, and technical as well. So that's definitely a, an option. But, you know, those three or four options could be something to Villa, for Villa mm-hmm. to, to sort of test out. Yeah, it's great, great insight. I mean, I, I really like watching dice ball, I do. I, I love it, <laughs> you I are, do. You it, are a salute. You're a sick man. You are a sick, <laughs> sick man. <laughs> no, because it's just so effective at times. Like, just get the ball up to Calvert-Lewin, the core yeah. raising and around him. Everybody gets in and around that. And it's just, oh, I love it. I do. Uh, anyway, that, so... That, just, just a quick one there. That's an interesting one. Calvert-Lewin at Villa. What do you think? We've seen Emery work with centre-forwards and, and completely, like, not revolutionise them, but just turn them into these monsters. It's just happened over and over again. Calvert-Lewin, obviously, is getting a run now in Everton team. When he plays for Everton, they are a lot better than when he's out. He is He's a target man. He's that guy that you could play along to. Might be an option. You know, you think about whether he might want a new challenge. Villa, as we've spoken about, are destined to play uh, European football for the, for the next five years, as long as they keep Monchi, they keep Emery. So there's definite... I'd have interest if I was Aston Villa and someone like him. I knew you liked Dodge Ball as well. Right, <laughs> so the recruitment then. The recruitment, Villa, this window seemed to have gone down a bit of a different direction with more of a youthful approach. We've already signed right back Nadelkovic, who, you know, really sought after in European football. I saw you do something for the Carabao Cup, Morgan yeah. Rogers. Yeah. What do you think of him in a Villa system? I like him. I think I think he would provide what we're kind of speaking about. Um, you know, in terms of that maybe dynamic um, attacker that could f- facilitate that role on the left wing. I think he, he'd add goals to the team. Um, it would be different than than playing Leon Bailey on the right. You could play Rogers on the on the left at number ten. I do like him. It's it's whether he's got enough about him to take that next step, mm-hmm. going from. Championship football, doing well in the championship, fantastic in the Carabao Cup this season, one of the top scorers um, with five goals. He's definitely got quality. I like players that have come from the City Academy. I think that shows a level to them. I think you need to check out their personality. I think that would be the one piece of advice that I'd say that I'd say for Aston Villa. You know, Cole Palmer is the right personality. Jaden Sancho yeah. is the wrong personality. Two players that you'd probably put Jaden Sancho above Cole Palmer. But as we've seen this season, Cole Palmer has adapted to Premier League football at Chelsea so well, whereas Jadon Sancho didn't at Manchester United. So there's there's a lot that I like about him. The, the only thing I'd say is, is he the right profile? I'd probably profile him more as an inside forward type wide player or someone that's going to get beyond the opponent's backline. Whereas I might, I probably see where Villa may need to go is kind of more of a winger, more of a player that's going to create things versus going to score. Saying that, like you know, someone like 
uh, Diaby or, or Bailey could play on the left-hand side. That's not mm-hmm. an issue. You know, that that would be just a natural footer on that side. And that could solve a lot of the problems that we speak about today, beating a low block, you know, for example. So it's an interesting one. I, I think, you know, the, the youthful approach is very good. The lad that they've bought from um, Red Star, you mentioned before, how how do we say his name? Nedelkovic. Nedelkovic. So yeah. he's he's been on my radar for <laughs> a season and a half. Um, and... I was really surprised that you bought him. Like, I hadn't seen any links for Aston Villa going for him, but he is regarded as one of the best young fullbacks slash centre-backs in the world, and Villa have signed him. This is when we're talking about Monchi and him, his ability to acquire these types of players. You know, we, we could talk about his record all day. You know, signed Danny Alves, one of the greatest fullbacks of all time. Very, very interesting. And if Villa go down that route where I feel they should do now, I think the first team is great. I think the sub-bench is great. For me, it's youth now. It's bringing those young players in and allowing them to develop in and around the Aston Villa squad. Maybe some of them need to go out on loan to get experience in, in English football. But that would be the correct thing because you think about how you're never going to compete against City, Manchester United, Chelsea, let's say, with spend, direct spend. Mm-hmm. Where you can beat them is sign these younger players or sign smart, and that's what you're doing. So it just mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of sense for to to build something that's going to be sustainable. And that's what you want to do, right? That's that's kind of the model that you need to do to be competitive in the Premier League for, for a, large, a large amount of time. So I think it's, yeah, youth I'd go with uh, for Villa in the next sort of two windows. And then if there's an option they can get, like a free transfer, as we've previously spoke, there's an option that works for Villa that will improve the first team, 100% go out and get them. Yeah, top stuff. Right, so finally then... Question that I want to ask you, and it's it's more about you, right? So, <laughs> when when you're watching football or when you're watching a specific team, it doesn't have to be your own team. What are the first things that you look for when you're sort of like analysing a game? You know, I know in football we've got all these different metrics of xG, field mm. till, passing networks. Um, you know, what What really sort of do you look for first? Because I think one metric that gets overlooked completely is like the eye test. You know, when I'm sort yeah. of watching Villa, I'm, I, I watch what I see first and then I sort of go and have a look at, you know, stats and try and peel, build that picture. And in my head, normally, it sort of fills in with what I've seen. So wh- where are you when you sort of put a game on and you're watching a team? I think but like one of the things that gets a bit lost uh, sometimes is obviously the stats are very very important it's it's numbers it's science you know it's an event it happened um it's a model that's been built by someone that's taken great care to build that model but i'm an analyst first i am game footage first um you know we use y scout i spend a lot of time on y scout you know one of the things i'd look for in a team and a player would be kind of different for a team i think you're looking at trends in what they're doing defensively offensively um, transitionally, are they doing things that are repeatable? Because if they're doing something that's repeatable, it means that the coach is good. It means that there's good coaching there, that, they, that it's not random. It's not five plays that look completely different, that there is this, this trend. Like Villa are a great example of a team that I could sit down and tell you every single phase of the game and how it all works on the majority of games. And yes, we mentioned previously, there is some pragmatism there. They're slightly tweaking certain things against different teams, but the overall game model is very similar. When you're looking from a player perspective, I think some of the biggest things to learn from players is going in completely clean, no bias. 
So whether you found a player through statistical recruitment or you found a player through someone said something about on the internet about him or you've stumbled across him randomly because you've been watching Bayer Leverkusen and you really like, uh, you know, Jeremy Fringpong and then you've watched more of Jeremy Fringpong. But I think it's, it's all about attitudes. Like, how does the player react when the ball's been lost? How does the player react when they're under pressure as a team? How does a player react on the counter-attack? Is he selfish? Is he playing the right pass? Decision-making is a big part. Scanning is a big part. Those intangibles that you can't collect with statistics are hugely important to judge how good a player is. And ultimately, you will have a feel for a player. And my feel for a player will be completely different to your feel from a player. You know, For example, Amadou um, Onana, who plays for Everton, at the moment, there's a lot of chat about him being the next big thing, about him being this next guy. And I got question marks on on his value as a sixty million pound player. Um, in terms of, he dives into tackles. He uses his frame far too much when he should stay on his feet. In a way, he's a bit like an Aaron Wambasaka of central midfield with the slide tackling, meaning that if he gets faint fainted, he's done. Mm-hmm. I think there's parts of the game he absolutely dominates, but he only dominates small parts of the game, and then he'll go out the game. I've seen some passing moves. There was one against. Um, West Ham United, where he's involved in the play like three or four times, brilliant little reverse pass to break lines, more passes to break lines, but there wasn't enough. And I think consistency mm-hmm. in performance on 90 minutes, how do you affect the game, is really important, especially in central midfield. And that's something that, again, you would be able to measure by statistics because you could look at his pass, pass map or you could look at sections of the game, like 15-minute chunks, and you go, well, what, what, what's he done for 25 minutes? He's literally not been on the ball. He's not made any tackles. What's he doing? And I think that's a really important side when you go and have the eye test or so forth. And it, and it is. Football, for me, football first is the video, right? You get more information with the statistics. You get more information with the analysis. And that's how you build it out. And it it's not one thing. And I think that's the that's the most important thing. But you, you take in all the information you can take in to build the best possible picture of the player. And the last little bit on that, I think one of the most important things at the moment that I've learned within the last year is that the psychological profile and how they fit within the team and what their character is, is more important than anything I've just spoke about then. (laughs) It's the the most important thing. I'm not even joking. That is the most important thing in football, in my opinion. I think he could be the best player in the world. Jadon Sancho is a prime example of that. Statistically, an anomaly. In a sense, he was doing stuff that I've only seen statistically that Lionel Messi had done. So he, he is That's literally bad. like he. So if you think about Haaland being Ronaldo, Sancho was Messi, or Mbappe was Ronaldo, Sancho was Messi. Just in terms of his creativity, the numbers were ridiculous. His goal scoring was ridiculous, but hasn't worked out at Manchester United. That he's got loads to do with him. And that's it's mad, isn't it? And that's something that you spend sixty million pound player. A player, you do all the research, you do all the analysis, and then you. you why doesn't it work? Yeah, mental, absolutely <laughs> mad. Well, it's been amazing having you on this channel, hearing your thoughts on everything that I've asked you. Uh, it's absolutely <laughs> been brilliant. You're an absolute legend, uh, and yeah, just want to thank you for coming on, mate, and offering offering your thoughts. And yeah, cheers. No, thanks for having me, Luke. We'll have to do it again. When uh, when Villa finish fourth in the Premier League, we'll, we'll do it then. <laughs> right. I'm holding you to that then. Right. I'll be back in touch. Right. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Luke.